Hi, this is Giuseppe. Hi, this is Anthony. And you're listening to For the Love of Sophia. A philosophy podcast brought to you by the Public Philosophy Project. If you have any questions or suggestions, feel free to email us at publicphilproject at gmail.com. Enjoy the ride. guys hello everybody welcome back welcome back we are coming to you digitally today <laughs> yeah a uh, little change a little change for the first time in a while yeah and uh, yeah what is it like a, a season <laughs> a, a season yeah i guess in like a, a year or something like that maybe. yeah yeah it's nothing we're, we're good nobody's sick but nope. uh, you know with the allergies and uh seasonal scratchy throats and things like mm. that we decided to play it safe <laughs> uh yes yeah, so two announcements number one yes. i sound terrible because i have this sinus <laughs> infection that i've had for like a week gross stuff coming out my nose not feeling i'm like very my head feels like it's full of hot cotton balls and mm-hmm. it's constantly cool. expanding gotcha and also you're coming and behind you, there is a unicorn that makes it surreal. Yes. Uh, so I was about to say the second thing is I am recording from Claire's childhood bedroom. Yeah. Uh, because again. we're living here temporarily while our bathroom's getting redone and our nieces um, have a bunch of their stuff in here. Yeah. It's Again, it, it seems surreal to, to see this unicorn behind you right there. <laughs> and, and what is it like a... I don't know what the other things are. I cannot really tell. Oh, those? Yeah. The, but they're like... Okay, so these are like little woodland creatures. Okay. It's like, what is it? Let me see. Uh, it's like a bear, an owl, and some unidentifiable squirrel-like thing. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. So it is. So it's fun it is fun. I, I'm from my house, the usual boring place. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny because it's all like the girl stuff. Yeah. But then some of Claire's stuff is here. So, like, she has this Walt Whitman poster. Okay. And it's just, like, a like very serious in contrast to all the little girl <laughs> stuff. And it stands out. It's so just this man this in the room. <laughs> oh, yes, good. <laughs> and that brings us to the topic for today, which is paradoxes. Oh, what are those weird things? And uh, how can we... Can, he, can they be tamed? <laughs> Yeah, what are they? What do they mean for knowledge, yep. reality, perception, and how should we think about them and all that good stuff? I mean, so what do you think of um, or what do you think the everyday person thinks of when they hear this word paradox, if they know what it is? Something, I think that we tend to think of something paradoxical rather than a paradox when we hear that that the board right i don't think uh, that people associate it much with with our stuff right i think something paradoxical is something that doesn't make sense right something mm. that that's like that something in the opposite of that something is happening at the same time right two things mm. are not necessarily in tune i think that's what people think about it all when when we talk about that i would say okay. right so they, so they don't think of any specific paradox proper 
no, you think, think so. they they think of the quality of being paradox like in exactly. some loose sense exactly don't you think so i think that's probably true yeah right uh, i mean it's the same thing with philosophy right yeah, you true. think of <laughs> philosophical in a loose sense meaning like something deep something kind of so it's kind of like the elements of true paradox is retained but maybe in a more like simpler watered down version as yep. a like a broad quality or something okay absolutely which is i mean i think it's something that might be something interesting to talk about later on how that translates right because those some of those paradoxes um for us have to do with with you know thought and knowledge and and being rather uh and it might be interesting to see how this translate into this let's call it lower level understanding of paradox right how, the, mm. how did we get there right because with philosophy it's kind of implied right i think that there is less of a drop when it comes from the paradox proper to paradoxical thing than there is from philosophy to philosophical ways i agree yeah i definitely so think that's I, true I, I think that there's more of a connection there so maybe we can talk about that connection later later okay. on but um so but we i think one thing that we need to say immediately is that pretty much what we just said that these two things are different and this paradoxes which we were going to be talking about um are going to be something a little bit different mm. uh, maybe maybe you could think of it as like particular sources um that collectively give rise to or are caused by depending if you're plato or aristotle some form of paradoxicality right like they all share this thing yes. um and what this thing is i guess is the the first point of discussion because you said it had something to do with things not going together or things not making sense and i would agree that's kind of like where it starts i'm wondering if you would agree that it has something to do with a a seeming contradiction or like an ostensible contradiction where you have a situation that seems contradictory mm -hmm. but exists yes right and Definitely. so you're you're left in this position where you're you have to either admit a either it's only ostensibly a contradiction in other words it looks like it but isn't actually and mm -hmm. something's going wrong in your mind or whatever mm -hmm. um or b something contradictory could exist mm -hmm. uh and i think the first one is m is w my take on it it's more so there's something wrong in the the computation that we're making or something so that's interesting because i i was about to say when you were thinking that and i say when you finished talking about the first one i was like and those are not real paradoxes right those are just oh those are just mistakes that you make, right? <laughs> explain explain <laughs> no because i was thinking that you know is it really a paradox if it can be solved by just shedding light on the mistakes that we're making in our head right that's that wouldn't be a paradox that would be just you know a simple mistakes that we make and make us and, and then make us think that there are contradictions there but they're not well a real paradox hmm. It's something that uh, that we're stuck on, right? It's something that's like it's almost painful to think about because contradiction shouldn't exist, and instead, clearly, it's there in this thing that we call a paradox. That's a good point. I think maybe you're right. If it's just an issue of um, misunderstanding, 
and when you clarify or shed light on and it disappears that's not really a paradox maybe what i meant instead is uh something that's more of the result of um what's the phrase i'm looking for like it's baked into the cake of the relationship that thought has to reality mm-hmm. like because there's this limitation to what we can perceive know uh think when it comes to the connection between these two sides of the pole mm-hmm. it gives us some problems i understand I, I understand what you're saying and does that make a little more sense uh, yeah no, absolutely okay, um, okay. i but i <laughs> i think that this is to do with um not just yours but especially yours um can we say necessity of saying wait a minute there cannot be really contradictions because otherwise we are in trouble here right so you want to save mm-hmm. that aspect of things by saying hey look there's no such thing as a contradiction so if there's something that looks like a contradiction mm-hmm. it cannot be into the fabric of reality but it has to do either with a mistake as you were saying before or and i think that this makes more sense with the fact that we are limited mentally we can say uh, when it comes to knowledge and conception and conceiving things, we are limited, and therefore, it's almost we cannot truly understand certain things. So we see them as in contradiction, but there's no such thing as contradiction, uh, and so on. It's correct. Yeah, like in other words, one way of conceiving of a paradox is not actually a feature of reality, but as a mental phenomenon. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's that's what I thought you were saying. But I think that we need to take in consideration as much as we don't like it. You don't like it more than I do. Uh, But (laughs) as much as we don't like it, we need to take in consideration the fact it could be uh, an issue, a crease within within Mm. reality instead. And we Mm. need to accept that there are some pockets of resistance when it comes to to the rationality, we can say, of, of what this thing that we call reality is. It's a possibility, at least, right? We cannot exclude sure. it. It's like we, sure. at least, again, we don't have the tools to understand if that's the case. Yeah, it's like you, I think that's possible. And if you were to go that route, one thing you might use um, in support of what you're saying is to say that, well, the law of non-contradiction, keep in mind, it's a law of thought, Exactly. Right? Like, it's, it may not be a law of reality outside thought mm-hmm. or something like that, right? Yep. So maybe outside thought, these things can happen in some sense. And I wonder <laughs> if we hone in on some specific oh, paradoxes. Sure, we can, um, we can do that. I was to expand on what you were saying. It's like, it's, it's like categories, right? Categories are laws of thought, not they don't exist, you know. In reality, and maybe the law of non-contradiction mm. is the same way. Well, instead, sometimes in reality, we find some things that might be contradictory. And I'm wondering if, if that's the case, right? I'm wondering if sometimes we explain away things to kind kind of avoid the contradiction that's in reality. In other words. I'm wondering if, at the end of the day, there are many more contradictions in reality than we are willing to admit, mm. because through the instrument, which is our mind, we're kind of bypassing them or you know explaining them away uh, through that. 
It could be. I think, the, uh, like a, just before I mentioned a specific paradox, I think the way I'm um, understanding it, I'm thinking of Camus. So, yeah, like Camus has this idea of absurdity, and I think it boils down to this idea that reality, so to speak, by itself is fine. Mm-hmm. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. There's no problems that exist. It just is. And then human mind, mental experience or thought, whatever, by itself, yes, whatever that means, to the extent that that's possible in abstraction, is also fine. Yes. But it's that when you mix these two, some kind of absurd thing results. Um, and I'm thinking... I, I'm probably going to wind up landing in, in that category with respect to paradoxes, but I, I could be wrong. Um, but one specific one, I think of Zeno, uh, or Zeno. Zeno? Yep, Zeno? With Zeno. an O, right? Is Zeno yeah. the Scientologist guy? I like think the so. <laughs> With the souls in the volcano, whatever? Yes. No, yeah, Zeno's no. paradox. So Zeno um, is this guy who had a lot of these interesting. Yeah. scenarios and the one i always think of is is this idea of um like a race right and there's a race between it's not like in his Hercules example is achilles and achilles a, yes and a turtle and a turtle and the idea is like they start running and then achilles is faster than the turtle and so there's a certain distance between the turtle and Achilles. And wait, yeah, in th- wait, wait, we forgot something. The turtle gets a head start, right? The turtle gets a head start. Yeah. Ah, yes, yes. So the turtle is, is in front of Achilles momentarily, right? Yes, yeah, they, they start like, uh, I don't know, 10 yards. The turtle starts 10 yards ahead. So the idea is that when Achilles starts running, he has uh, a certain distance to cover before he can occupy the space that the turtle is at or go ahead of him. And so, call it N, right? Mm-hmm. We'll just make it up 10. Let's just say there's 10 whatever yep. units in between them. So, in order to get to 10, Achilles would have to run half of that distance at least. Yeah, at least. Right? Which is to five. five. Mm-hmm. And then once he gets to five, he has to then run the distance, which is halfway between five and 10. Mm-hmm. Right? Which is 2.5 or 7.5, mm-hmm. depending on how you look at it. You're like, okay, fine. He's getting closer and closer. And then he has to run the distance of half between that. Mm-hmm. And the point Zeno makes is that given the infinitude of the way numbers work, Achilles is always going to have half of a certain distance to run to catch up to the turtle. And that would mean that, in theory, he never actually could reach the turtle. Yeah, and this is... So, just if you want to do this at home, right? It's very simple. Take the number 10, divide it by 2, and then the result you get, which is going to be 5, spoiler alert, uh, you divide (laughs) it by 2, and then you divide that by 2, and then you divide that by 2. And if you keep on doing that on the calculator... The calculator eventually will get to zero. But if you know a little bit of math, you know that if you're dividing a number, no matter how small the number is, 
you can never get to zero. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly the point that he's making. If the turtle has a head start, mathematically, right, Achilles can never reach the turtle. And the paradox is in what? Is in the fact that you might think that you see with your eyes Achilles passing the turtle, <laughs> but that's not happening, right? What you're seeing, the paradox, the, paradox the, the, the illusion of the senses, right, is telling you that it's passing it, but reality is it's not passing it. And, it's not, and, you know, and if we hmm. think of this abstractly, right, if you follow the math, it actually doesn't reach it, right? Mm-hmm. And is it again? I guess the the point is, how do we solve this? Is this can this be solved? Yeah, I mean, what what does that mean? Because it is true that you can divide numbers infinitely, mm-hmm. and you could absolutely get closer to zero, mm-hmm. um, but you never actually get to zero proper. Mm-hmm. And so, does this mean mm-hmm. that Achilles can never actually reach the tortoise? I mean, and we see him reach the tortoise and go ahead, and maybe that's an illusion. But if it's not, it would seem to indicate that there's something working in the background that like overrides this paradox that we're thinking of. And I, I don't know exactly how, how we should think of this. And that's, you know, the, the, when I think of paradoxes, I think of brain freezes, right? That's the, that's the kind <laughs> of the the perception they give me, right? They give me a headache, they, the, the same kind of headache that you get when you get a brain freeze, which is like, it hurts to think about it. <laughs> um, and there's, so if we take this, uh, this specific paradox seriously, right? Because one thing, you know, one way of dismissing it is like, yeah, this is BS, right? Of course he passes. Uh, and because this is what my senses are telling me, this is what reality is. I don't care about anything else. But if we take the the, the math thing seriously, if we really believe that uh, the reality is explainable in mathematical formulas, right, and through math, which is what science tells us, right, then we shouldn't necessarily discard this. We cannot we cannot take that away just because our senses are telling us a different thing. And if we take simple math again seriously, then it's true. Achilles never reaches the turtles. Mm. However, mathematicians invented something which are called series to avoid this thing. And I'm not going to get into this because also I wouldn't be able to explain uh, clearly uh, what this this thing is. Same. I was thinking of the concept of of like limits. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. And that that is where it comes from. But again... This is an example, and actually, I was thinking exactly of that, of what I was talking about before. So the paradox exists in reality in this case, and we have invented something a posteriori to solve this paradox. This is what mathematician did. Actually, mm. the reason why we have this new way of looking at mathematics, the reason why you get a zero in your calculator eventually, let's say, it is because mathematicians at the time of Zeno were like, uh-oh, we're in trouble here. This new thing that we call math is going to collapse if if we don't solve this. And they came up with this rule, right? That at a certain point, you need to get a zero. Hmm. Pretty much. So in, if, that, if that's true, again, if it works that way, it seems almost evident that 
um, that we come up posteriori with solutions to those things that are paradoxes. Yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to think what this means because the one way is the way you're saying mm-hmm. where we just kind of like deus ex machina, like, no, nah, it's fine. It's this thing. It's the missing ingredient, and now yeah. we justify it, right? And actually there is some something fishy happening in reality. Uh, another way of conceiving of it, and I'm not... I'm not sure where you would land with regard to what I'm about to say, because I could see you based on our previous conversations going either way. And this is the possibility that the paradox exists within numbers. It doesn't exist within physical reality. Okay. Which is why in physical reality, Achilles actually passes the tortoise, and which is why in the abstract system of mathematics it never happens and so the issue is that we're using like an infinite um, a system that works with infinites and misapplying it to this physical thing that has limits kind of you know uh like kantian way of thinking where we are using the point of view of human beings to apply to the to the to the things themselves and this is where we get issues right like the something like that the only difference would be bec- that w- the humans can see things m- close the distance but i think the analogy holds it's like we're applying a system that mostly works most of the time that's like an approximation um of reality that's good at symbolizing reality in general but then, like, mistaking the system for being synonymous with reality. So it's kind of, there are some hiccups when we apply mathematics to reality, even though it works most of the time, certain times is not. It's, it seems like it, it gives us like, some short circuits, pretty much. Mm. Uh, I don't know. I think that it all depends on what you really think, right? Uh, of the way reality works. Because if we are really convinced them, them almost that there are some forms, right? If you want. If the the universe is actually um, almost uh, uh, the the physics is the appearance of the mathematical things that really are happening there, then that cannot be right. Then uh, the the mistake is in our eyes. We can say we're looking at this thing and we we're seeing it wrong. Mm-hmm. If we instead we believe that the physical characteristic kind of supersede the mathematical characteristic and the mathematical things is actually an, an application that we use to understand stuff, mm. then in that case, yes, it is the promise is that the issue with, uh, I think, that the danger in saying, kind of taking that route, the route that says, look, math is a great tool, but it's not a tool that's 100% reliable when we, when we apply it to the world. The issue, I think, becomes almost uh, the same issue that Descartes has at the beginning of his of his research during the, during the meditations, right? If this thing, if this math thing deceives me sometimes, how do I know that's not deceiving me all the time, right? How do I know? How can I make the difference and how can I make the distinction? Because I'm noticing uh, the turtle thing with uh, with with Achilles because it's um, it's evident, but are there other things that are not as evident that I'm mistaking for? regular stuff and instead or not right because you could because it, it means it's not absolute exactly and in that case especially in some, something like math and application of, of mathematics and natural sciences and things like that 
that is really dangerous. Yeah, I mean, you could certainly come to that conclusion. Um, I think probably the safe thing to do would be to say, because, how would, how would I phrase it nicely? The existence of limit cases or exceptions should not and or does not uh, negate the overall correctness of the thing. Mm -hmm. It just means that it maybe is not as clean cut as we would like it to be, I suppose. Uh, we, sure, I and mean, we can establish that. That's fine. The problem is, uh, do we have the tools, though, to understand when we're making mistakes? Right. right. That's a good question. And I mean, see, again, I keep thinking because there's no paradox in math. Like dividing something half by half by half, you're like, yeah, that works in accordance with all the, the principles of logic, of course. Yeah. Um, but it's it, the, the, the application on that, on reality, that makes the difference, that makes the issue. Yeah, like conceptualizing reality like through the lens of these things. But I, I'm thinking, I was thinking, you know, I'm not sure that... So this is obviously... I'm I'm trying to think because I have in my head I'm thinking my head loosely about other paradoxes, right? I think that there are different kinds of paradoxes, and some of them do not involve math, right? Of course, uh, there there yes. are some other paradoxes that involve math, and I'm not even sure that they involve uh, the how can we call it the superimposition of reality in another system. Uh, so. Even if we say that, okay, in this specific instance, the issue is the application of mathematics to the natural world, I don't think that still this solves the issue, that still this takes away certain issues that might be in actual reality. Mm, it seems okay. that this is a specific case because, uh, and again, I think I can think of some paradoxes that have to do with this, exactly this relationship between some systems of how can we call it, of measurements right and reality then there are some paradoxes that have to do possibly just with that are how can we say that they're specific of this of a system right so they're not necessarily well not necessarily not all paradoxes are quantitative and we've just talked about the quantitative kind yes so and, I, and i'm thinking that um, i'm trying to, i think there are three kinds uh, one is the one that we said mm -hmm. i'm not, not talking necessarily about quantitative or qualitative here but again one is about the interaction between let's call it thought and reality like the one that we just mentioned mm -hmm. one there's some kinds that have to do with thought and there are some others that have to do with reality so it's A to A, A to B, A to B, and the one we just talked about was A to B. Yes. Okay. I think I think that that is the case because I'm trying to think. There are others like the, the there's this one um, uh, there's the one about the um, oh my god I can't think of the word what is called uh, the stage before frog is uh, uh, tadpole tadpole yes. Mm. So there's the tadpole paradox, right? That is, you know, you have a tadpole, and let's say you have a you have a um, a camera there, recording the tadpole from the very beginning, from when he comes out of the egg, 
till the very end stage mm-hmm. when there's a frog. Can we pinpoint exactly when that when it's not a tuple anymore and it's a frog? Mm. Is it possible to do that? Because it doesn't seem to be the case, right? Yeah, that's a good one. I so this one, um, I wonder if you're going to say this is the same thing, like when you have a a grain of sand. That's the same, right? Concept. And like you you put one grain of sand, then you put two grains of sand, and then at some point this collection of grains of sand become a pile. Yeah, a heap like, or whatever, yeah. But a heap, like when when does it become the heap or the exactly, pile? Exactly, exactly, right? So even though those have to do with with quantity, right? Uh, in the case of the of the grain of sand or, you know, it's obviously we're not we're not superimposing something. We're just observing reality and then at some point we're like, okay, when is that? You know, we have two things. Obviously, a tadpole and a frog are not the same thing, right? Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we would have one one name for it. Hmm. When does it happen that one becomes the other? When it ceases to be one and it becomes to be the other? And if you have the entire thing, you know, is it when he starts having the first leg or when he starts having the second leg or when he has the four legs, when he loses, the, can, can frog have tails, right? Mm-hmm. How does that work? Can 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 we establish that? And I'm wondering if that is, for example, do you think this is still something to do with our way of thinking? Let's say our mind, our categories, and reality, or is this a paradox in reality? How does that? What kind of paradox is that? So I was trying to figure this out while you were explaining it, and and I'm I'm still not sure because. So in the disagreement episode. Um, one of the types of disagreements we spoke about was the one where we have the same phenomena and the same scale, but we categorize it differently. Um, or ones where there's the same phenomena, different scale, and that's why we categorize it differently. So I think this is an issue of how, like where we draw the lines that uh, form the border of this thing we call tadpole, right? Like, at what point does it become tadpole? And I'm going to say, I'm going to guess that you are not merely talking about the the mental category of tadpole. No, not And instead you're talking about when does one ontological state become yes. a distinct ontological state. Exactly, exactly. And if that's the case... If we think about that way, or if we think about it that way, then it seems to be a paradox that happens within reality there, right? Okay, this one is maybe, I don't know if it's tougher, they're all tough, (laughs) but... They're all brain freezes. (laughs) One way around, I'm thinking there's like two, at least two ways around this. One way around it is to go Parmenides route. Um there is only one and there actually like isn't changes right um another way to go about it is the heraclitus route and to say there every every moment everything is ontologically distinct okay but but neither of those agree with the way we see things right right okay so again is that just an issue with the way we see things then so so maybe is it an issue of perception is that the issue Is it like that we are 
not seeing the difference hmm. where there is a difference or is that we are seeing differences where there are not differences right um, this is a good question i'm wondering if it if what seems like a question about ontological states is really a question about conceptual states like tell me if you think this is um a, a good analogy but i'm thinking of trimesters okay with abortions right like yeah. trimesters uh-huh. are tools we use to categorize generally different states or stages right of the pregnancy yes but like they're not ingrained into reality like oh at this point it is a qualitatively different thing in nature these seem to be like although there are qualitative differences within yes. the totality of the pregnancy right yes i was thinking i was thinking of something similar uh and a different because I was, I was planting something <laughs> i was planting seeds okay um and i was i was thinking so i planted the seeds all at the same time of course right and then some was planting cucumber seeds specifically and then some cucumbers come out before others like days right mm. So and I and I was thinking like look, and I made two considerations. One is to do with with the mind, and we're not going to talk about this at least in the podcast. And if you're curious, we'll talk later. And one is to do with with the abortion stuff, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, which, by the way, we talked about that in the disagreement uh, yeah, episode, then, which was woo, fairly uncontroversial at that moment. And some stuff happened. And then boom. Uh, but anyway, uh, and I was thinking something similar to what you just said that you know we kind of arbitrarily decide those limits but considering that we're talking about stuff that are biological right not every fetus for example might develop at the same time Mm. in the same way there are general guidelines my seeds the packet of the seed says you know approximately six days after you put them in they're going to come out some of them come out three days after some of them come out 10 days after right mm-hmm. so at the end of the day the stages of development might be different for every single seed or there might be slightly different conditions mm. in different wombs right if you want so of course those things are are not uh they're conceptual stages if you want they we made that up there are general guidelines that we follow and i think uh generally speaking in that period of time specific things do happen but that doesn't mean that they're written in reality, right? Uh, when it comes yeah. to the timeline, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what this points to, and I'm wondering if it's something like um, there are real changes and states and things in actuality. Okay. But, but because these things are empirical... They are are not absolute. They could happen all the time. They could well. They could happen this time. They could happen another time. And so it's more like you're following general trends. And so like empirical objective reality seems to function in terms of like averages and trends and things that are not arbitrary. Okay. Um, but not 100% of the time this thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, 
conceptual reality is not like that. All the a priori stuff is very clear cut. So like objective conceptual reality is much cleaner. And so I'm wondering again, if this is ultimately just an issue of like, nope, the real things in empirical reality are happening and it's not arbitrary. It's just, we, we should stop expecting it to function like how According we expect to, mm. definitions function because those are abstract and not empirical um that is possible um i don't know so i would so a couple of things there i think that first of all it might sound to some listeners counterintuitive what we're saying right because we're saying what uh, correct me if i'm wrong i think that what you're saying is that the empirical stuff meaning the things that are outside of us that are the objective things that we think of the universe, the world, the plants outside, and all those kind of stuff, like the the, the turtle, Achilles, uh, the, the frog, the tadpole. All these things are really not, how can we say? We have no certainty of how those things work. Those things are, they are mutable. They change. They change in ways that are not necessarily always predictable and better not always in the same way mm -hmm. so there's no certainty there's no scientific certainty of those things there's we no absolute certainty absolute certainty of those things yeah uh, while instead the things that have to do with our our internal realities our correction our rational internal realities the one they're regulated through disciplines like math or logic, or other skills and measurements that we have invented, if you want, right, that we have created to make sense of things, those things are absolutely certain at all times. Which I think, again, well, for us, having clear in our head most, <laughs> most of the times the difference between uh, a priori stuff and a posteriori stuff, it's easier for us to get that. It's we, we're kind of like, oh, okay, obviously, right? But for the average person, right? For for the people living life every day, it seems counterintuitive because what do you mean? Of course, the the thing that we invented must be relative because they can change at all times. Mm. While instead, those are certain, and the things that are outside are constant and always happen the same way. Look at planets and gravity, you know. The planet goes around always the same way, right? There's no... Well, instead, we don't really know that. We just calculate it, and we think that that's the way, but there's no absolute certainty that that's the case, right? Yeah, and I think that... So, yeah, this is ultimately the, the distinction which we've referenced in the past as matters of fact versus relations of ideas. And matters of fact are uh, less clean, but but they're still fact, right? Like, they're sure. still true. And so I... I, I so I think when some people would hear this, they might jump to the conclusion then that empirical realities, well, aren't really realities. Or that empirical stuff, because it's not as fixed as math, um, it must not have some kind of non-arbitrary actuality. I think what I'm saying, which I'm guessing you're saying too, is no, no, it does. It's just it just doesn't play by the same rules. Um, 
Yes. So I think that in gen generally speaking, if we uh, the simple answer is yes, right? Things may be a little bit more complicated. I was thinking about this uh, while you were talking. Um, the truth is that we might need to make a couple of distinctions, again, that usually we don't make. And that definitely people that are not philosophers uh, most of the time don't make. The first one is probably surprising to most, and we have talked about this before, which is the fact that math and sciences are divorced. They're not one thing. We tend to think uh, with modernity, and especially in the past 100 years, I want to say, we're kind of being um, inculcated in our head that these two things work together, are together. And math and science, math and science. While in reality, these two things do not always work together. And we saw this in the uh, Zeno's paradox, or in, even in this paradox, in, in other paradoxes, the, 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 the grain of sand thing, if you want. It might be another variation. Um, and that might be surprising, of course. So which means that science is a system that works for following certain rules, and math, it's a different system that follows other rules. And sometimes they can cooperate, but sometimes they might be at odds, like in those situations. But there's also another issue. There might be another issue there. And maybe this has to do with our relationship, if you want, with the universe. Maybe the truth is that while things, while the reality of things, um, you're saying that the, the, the outside world is real, of course, right? It's happening. Everything is happening. But maybe the truth is that we have no, that unfortunately we have no direct knowledge of anything. Mm. We, we never access those things directly. There is no true knowledge. And all we do is, if you want, I don't want to say, I don't want to use the word guessing, but I think it's, it's the closest. Approximate thing. you use. Yeah, yeah. We can, yes. We're, we're trying to, no, it's not even an approximation because we could be completely off, right? But we have we have kind of identified some constants, right? Some constant stuff, and we work on this constant stuff, and we're like we're flying blind, right? It's uh, I think that that's a possibility. That the truth is that we have no direct knowledge of those empirical stuff, and we just again uh, guessing, trying to understand using some tools. But the truth is that this reality is, best case scenario, opaque, right? Mm. And we like, really like Socrates, right? Mm. We're kind, we kind of know nothing, right? We know nothing. We cannot teach anything. The only thing that we can do is just solicit, uh, solicit like questions, and maybe we can get to some understanding of things, but not real knowledge of the things that are outside. Maybe paradoxes are just how can we say, windows into this matter of fact, right? Into the fact that we are just always just trying to understand rather than, than knowing stuff. Well, I, I certainly do think that, I mean, the paradox we've talked so far, at least, are windows into something. Like, they reveal mm -hmm. something. They're yeah. not just like, oh, that's interesting. Let's throw it under the rug and forget about it. Like, <laughs> no, I think they show, I would say... Like the limits um, of mental capacity, mm -hmm. but also I I think it is. It's like if you were to try to plug your computer 
into a different monitor and like the cable was a little frayed like there'd mm-hmm. be some error coming on the tv i think that that's kind of what it is so i, I think even the what was it the the tadpole one and the mm-hmm. sand one mm-hmm. i think kind of based on what we said i still think that's like an issue of the interface okay rather than the thing because i i do agree with a lot of what you said but i think at the end of the day i have a less agnostic mm-hmm. standpoint than than you do about knowledge because i think it is correct that we don't have a direct access mm-hmm. and i think it is correct that we will mistake facts about reality as it manifests mm-hmm. as facts about reality in itself mm-hmm. um i think the difference though is i would say we can have fairly certain knowledge about reality as manifest, about uh, phenomenal reality. Mm. And, you know, in other words, that's, again, Kantian language for those who don't understand. This is like reality as it presents itself through the, the human window of consciousness and our categories and, and concepts and all that good stuff. Um, yeah, and I'm, I'm trying to think, like, how, what paradoxes tell us about that? Like, is it, is it showing us a breakdown between the relationship of phenomena and thing in itself? Mm-hmm. Is it showing us, um, are we seeing a window, a little, little window into the thing in itself? And like, huh, this throws off our mind. So we're like, this doesn't work according to our categories. We're seeing our limits in other words. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it's tough. It is tough. Um, and the reason why I was making this this distinction between knowledge and understanding is exactly that, right? So when we talk about knowledge, uh, I'm assuming that what we're talking about is having <laughs> knowing. <laughs> ah. <laughs> when we when we talk about knowledge, um, what what are we what are we really describing there, right? When I have knowledge of something. It's more than just understanding how something works, right? It's I can understand how, I don't know, how the computer works, but I don't really know how a computer works, right? Those mm. are two different things, correct? I have an understanding. Yeah, so it's, it's the practical, I have enough to work it thing versus the the justified true beliefs regarding the, the knowing how, maybe so to speak. And I think that all we have is the first one when it comes to reality the practical uh, understanding that makes us kind of work it. Hmm. And I'm wondering if, and I don't think, I don't think, I don't think that we have access to the real thing most of the times, right? Most of the times we only have the understanding, the practical going around things, while instead we don't have to justify a true belief of the knowledge of the world outside of us, right? Mm -hmm. And paradoxes, paradoxically are <laughs> are those windows where we sometimes get into this we see this difference we see this discrepancy we get reminded that all we have is the practical hmm. get around kind of thing i think that that's that's that could be a, a a way of looking at this i'm not saying again you know the relationship that i have with somebody like heidegger right mm-hmm. uh but this is not much different from what he's saying, right? Um, what he talks about, I think, is when he talks about things, right? 
mm-hmm. that he says that there's, there's this veil, right? They're always like, they, they, they are like, um, we, we cannot really know them, know them. Or was it the objects? I don't remember. I wanted to. Well, he, uh, so the whole thing, he, he kind of like tries to reject the Kantian thing about the thing in itself. He's like, because he's like post-Hushul, right? So he's mm-hmm. like, no, no, the hammer in your hand is the hammer. There is nothing behind the hammer. Mm-hmm. But he does say that the primary mode of engagement with things is uh, equipmentally, mm-hmm. right? Which is like a practical engagement, the ready mm-hmm. to hand. Exactly. So, and I think that I'm not saying... I'm, I think that the, the relationship with reality that we have is that that one, right? Mm. And it's the only one that we can have if you want. Um, and this thing that we call knowledge, we're really, we're really overselling it. I don't know. We're, we're, trying, we're kind of being too confident about this thing. Well, all we have is that, right? That's so Nietzsche of you. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Uh, so, okay, so I have a question. But before I get into the question, so I, we can ask the question, maybe talk, and then maybe continue stuff yeah. um, later. So first off, remember when we did that panel uh, for the... The science stuff? The seminar, right, with the science stuff. And it was like me, you, this guy from the physics department. It's natural sciences, yes. And then the, the woman Psycho- from the psych department, right? Yeah. I saw this guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, you saw him. <laughs> the other so, yeah, so me and Giuseppe did this panel where we tried to talk about the relationship between philosophy and science. Um, and me and him had prepared, like, these very specific yeah. uh, philosophical treatises of these things. And uh, they wasn't matched by everyone, is what I'll say. <laughs> but, w- but we had this, this argument with the, the science guy because... Mm-hmm. He made the the error that you highlighted earlier, which mm-hmm. is um, saying that math is part of science. Yes, and we were and both that, like, "What?" <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, "And um, our student, the Joseph. Well, he wasn't our student, but he mm-hmm. was like a half student of ours back then. Said like, yeah, but that's not right because when science makes an error, the scientific method." you check your math book, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like the other way around. Mm-hmm. And then so we had this whole conversation. So I saw this guy the other day, and I was like, hey. And I looked at him, and he was like, hey. And I was like, I know you. And he was like, you do? That's good. And then, like, <laughs> that was it. And I'm like, this guy does not remember me, even though we sat on the panel with each other. That's cool. But anyway, I was going to ask you a question. Um, I'm not surprised. <laughs> do, do He was just like, this is, what is this? crazy philosophy <laughs> fake garbage um do you think when okay so when you make the statement that we do not have s- certain ish knowledge about reality mm-hmm. um i would agree with you that we don't have certain ish knowledge about reality mm-hmm. defined as the thing in itself, mm-hmm. right? Or in other words, the world as it is outside of conscious experience, right? Which mm-hmm. literally, we can only ever touch things by means of consciousness. You can't touch a thing outside of the touch of consciousness, right? So I agree with you on that. But my question for you is, do you... Do you also think that we can't have certain-ish knowledge about 
phenomenal reality or reality as it is touched by consciousness because this is the one that i'm i'm more optimistic about i would say mm-hmm. uh, so one number one i need to make clear that the statement that i made before about you know i don't think we have certain reality it's not motivated by any sort of you know extreme skepticism or some sort of hatred of knowledge and in favor of some sort of relativism or anything like that no yeah yeah that i know not, that that is not yeah, I know you. I know you do, but maybe was listening might not. True, uh, true. I am more on the again. Seriously, on Socrates' camp here, right? I don't think that we know anything. Really, we don't. But that doesn't mean that we're completely ignorant. On the other side, that's the other part. That's Mino's paradox, right? Yeah. Uh, it, I was going to bring that up in the next episode. Yeah, yeah we'll, we'll we'll talk about that one. I think that. We really need to admit ignorance when it comes to, you know, the world the way it is. And I think that when it comes with the phenomenal world, I also think that there are, at best, serious limitations. Serious, serious limitations. Um, But I cannot... You see, I don't think... So I think that we have... let's, Let's put it this way. I think it's very hard for us to distinguish, to make a claim that we make. Can we can make a claim that we know that something is, for example, real mm-hmm. versus something is just I don't know a figment of our imagination? Okay. Fair. I think it is very difficult for us to make that claim, and I think that we're always. And I think this philosophy teaches us this, right? Whenever we're making any sorts of claims, right, we kind of need to add, there's always this asterisk that says, to the best of our knowledge. (laughs) Whatever claim we're making. And if that's the case, though, then again, truth is that we have serious limitation when it comes to this thing, this knowledge. We know that there are stuff. We know that things are happening. But are we even able to... Because, again, if we cannot make really the difference between these two things, then we're kind of in trouble. But you would say there is either a difference or a sameness in the background. We just might not have access to it. There is something. There is something. There is and, something. And paradoxes just reveal our limitations. I think, yeah, paradoxes, which seems, uh, again, they're like reminders. I think that at first when you're confronted by those things, you're like, they are the mistake. We need to fix it. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like then, it's a bug in the system. But then you're like, wait a minute. No, they're actually not the mistake. Hmm. They are reminding us that this, this is what's happening here, right? Which is why they're maybe not solvable. Yeah. And, and again, going back for a second to, to, the, to the impossibility of understanding, without knowing if something is real or not, right? Uh, an example uh, dated. I don't know if if there's anybody born in the past twenty years. Uh, they might not be that into this um, as we were. Uh, but but think of uh, JFK assassination, right? It's still a historical mm-hmm, event. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming, I'm hoping that most people know what I'm talking about. Who's that? <laughs> um, we don't. We there's no way of knowing with certainty even on a phenomenal level, if there was such thing as a conspiracy to kill JFK. 
is the conspiracy to kill JFK a fictional invention, or is it a an, a, a part of reality? Do we know? I, I don't know. Again, and I think that uh, the impossibility for us to decide that is the window into which paradoxes let us peek through. Kind of. And and as you say, either it was one shooter or multiple shooters or something else, but we don't know. Exactly. Exactly. All right, so All right. maybe in the next episode we'll talk about some other paradoxes and we can mm-hmm. start with one involving Socrates directly. All right, I'll see you later. See you. Mm-hmm.